Let's pray. Lord, you have, uh, you have really created something special in humanity. You've created us in your very own image. And in that image, Lord, you have, you have made us strong. You've made us wise. Lord, you've given us the ability to pursue the, the depths and the intricacies of the human body. You've given us a desire to plumb the depths of the ocean and to reach out into outer space. And we, we learn so much, God, and we make so much of our world better in that. And we, we have power and wisdom and so many wonderful things. And yet nothing is more significant. Nothing is more powerful. Nothing is more wise than one word. Jesus. And we don't know that name because of how smart we are. We don't know that name because of research that we've done or a discovery that we made. We know that name because you are gracious. And because you are kind and because you are loving. And you revealed that name. And man will discover never nothing better than that name. Lord, I would pray for each person in this room this week the opportunity to know the power of the name of Jesus Christ. I pray this week they'll see evidence that there is no more significant way to pray. There's no more significant person to look to. There's nothing more important that can be said than simply to say, Jesus. And I pray that around that name they'll see things happen to your glory and to your honor. In the name of Jesus Christ that we pray this. Amen. You are so special to me. I, I don't even know quite how to express how much I appreciate you. You, you fill me up every day. You give me energy and strength. You, you take care of me in so many ways. You know, I've got a couple of things to do today, but they're all for you. Boy, I need your help in, in so many ways. And I just appreciate that you're, you're always there. Does that sound kind of silly? I, I felt kind of silly saying it. I mean, have you talked to a piece of bread lately? It, it's, it's awkward. You know, if it is silly, why is it that we do that? You say, well, well, I've never talked to a loaf of bread. Yeah, you have. We all have, and probably too many of us still do today. I mean, think about what this represents. This does. I mean, it's very base level. It represents fullness. It represents strength and energy and fulfillment. And would you believe that we all eat off the wrong bread? I mean, here we are, we're looking to this for fulfillment and for, for fullness and for energy. And folks, ultimately, ultimately, whatever you look to for that life and that energy, that defines your life. Defines where you're going, your attitude, your outlook, your relationships. Our drive for bread determines a whole lot of our life and we're eating the wrong bread. That doesn't matter if it's rye or pumpernickel or white or wheat or even some of that nasty low-carb stuff. It's the wrong bread. Matter of fact, all of it on this planet is the wrong bread. You know why? Because no matter how much you possess, 
no matter how much you consume, you will wake up hungry tomorrow. It will not ultimately work. And I hope you understand that while I am indeed talking about a loaf of bread, this bread represents a whole lot. Yeah, this bread represents all food. But it also represents money, it represents our house, our car, our relationships, our dreams, our job, our achievement. It represents all of those things that we run after and try to consume so that we'll have fullness, so that we'll be fulfilled, so that we'll be happy and have life and and energy. And you know what? It'll do that for a day. But it doesn't matter what you lay hold of, you'll wake up hungry tomorrow now saying this is the the wrong piece of bread even saying that all of the bread on the planet is the wrong bread that would still imply that if there's a wrong there's a there's a right piece of bread somewhere wouldn't it well sure there is and i'll bet you know where we can find that right piece of bread would you turn with me this morning to john chapter six john chapter six we're continuing today our study of the gospel of john if you don't have a bible with you this morning we've got some spread out here among the sanctuary might be on a chair right in front of you it may have to look two or three chairs down but if you point to it i'm sure somebody will hand it to you john chapter six we've been working through this now for about two months so far we have studied seven signs Seven signs that Jesus performed in his ministry and that John recorded in his story and his telling of the life of Christ. And today we're going to begin studying. We're going to be looking at seven I am statements. Now, the seven signs, they point to something very clearly. Jesus Christ, he is the son of God. He is the Messiah. Now, you learn that information and you might think, well, so what's that supposed to mean in my life? What is that supposed to be for my life? And that's a lot about what these I am statements are going to be answering as we work through them. We're looking at the first one today and we find it here in John 6. Look at verse 30. John chapter 6, verse 30. What sign then are you going to do so we may see and believe you? They asked. What are you going to perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I assure you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven. But my father gives you the real bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, sir, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life. Jesus told them, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me and yet you do not believe. Everyone the father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me, I will never cast out for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me that I should lose none of those he's given me but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Now, if you were to read the whole of John chapter 6, one of the things that you would discover is that we don't like being told we're going after the wrong bread. 
As a matter of fact, this is a transitional chapter in Jesus' ministry. A lot of people are going to stop following Jesus right here because he tells them they're going after the wrong bread. Now, as Jesus is communicating this right here, it was just probably less than 24 hours earlier, the day prior that Jesus fed them bread. You remember we talked about that when we looked at the signs. Jesus fed 5,000. And you might remember me saying then, when Jesus fed the 5,000, the 5,000 they would have been counting would have been men. So more than likely, there was women there, there was children there, probably a crowd in excess of 10,000 people. And so now they're following him, man. They're checking him out. They're listening. They want to know what he has, but they want this bread. No different than us. Think about what most of your prayers to the Lord are. Give me bread. Give me what I need in this physical world. And so that's why it's kind of surprising when all of a sudden Jesus turns the tables on them. And he chastises them. Look down at John 6, 26. I'm not going to read it, but I referred to that before when we were looking at the feeding of the 5,000. One day he gives them the bread. Then he chastises them and says, your pursuit of the bread is very superficial. You guys are going to miss it. Well, now, now wait a minute, Lord. That, that's not fair. You, you bless me with it one day. You chastise me for wanting it the next day. Hey, hunger's real, isn't it? The, the, the need for in our physical bodies for food is very real. And Jesus would say, of course it is. And I care about that. And my father cares about that. But you know what I'm concerned? I'm concerned you're going to give your whole life to running after a piece of bread. And Jesus here is literally trying to rescue us from giving our whole life to that. That'd be a waste of life, wouldn't it? I mean, folks, you can give everything you've got in your life, every day of your life, to chasing bread and everything that it represents, and you're going to keep waking up hungry, you're going to keep waking up unfulfilled, and one day you're going to die. And then you've got a real problem. And Jesus has come to give us the bread we need. Jesus has come to solve that problem and to make this offer to us. But before he does, before we look at what Jesus has for us, I want us to really get ingrained in just how unsatisfied we are. How unhappy we can be no matter what. You ready for this? No matter what God gives us. No matter what God shows us, how incredibly dissatisfied we can stay. Now we've got a crowd here talking to Jesus. They approach Jesus and they say, and of course they're saying this because they got bread the day before, say, Lord, we want you to to give us bread. As a matter of fact, we we want you to give us bread like forever, every day from now on. And they felt very justified in that request because they said, "Now, now, Lord, you're telling us you're from God. Well, Moses was from God and he gave the people bread every day, six days a week for 40 years. I mean, not out of line if you're from God it's not out of line for us to ask this so you just give us bread every day and we will be happy will they be happy was the crowd that followed Moses were they happy you know what we can answer that question we don't have to guess turn with me to Exodus real quick real quickly second book of the Bible Exodus Genesis Exodus turn to chapter 14 I think probably of all the stories in the Old Testament, this first part of Exodus are stories we're somewhat familiar with. You might remember God sends Moses to the Israelites, but he doesn't send them to Israel because that's not where the Israelites are. They're in Egypt. 
They're enslaved in Egypt and they've been in slavery for over 400 years and God is going to free them. And he sends Moses to do that. And through Moses, you might remember, he brings the ten plagues on the land of Egypt. And man, those ten plagues devastate the land of Egypt, destroy the land of Egypt. Finally, the Egyptians free their slaves. They free the Israelites. And do you remember what happened as the Israelites were leaving? They not only freed them, they gave them everything in the country. I mean, they not only went out freed, they went out wealthy. Now, freedom and wealth. That ought to be a pretty good day, shouldn't it? I mean, you know, all day, all things considered, I'm, I'm pretty happy right now. I'm free and I'm wealthy. That's pretty good. Ought to last for a while, shouldn't it? Should, shouldn't that kind of happiness last for a while? Well, they get out into the desert and the Egyptians go, what, what, did, we, what did we just do? Go, go, go get them back. And so the Pharaoh sends the army after them. The, the Israelites see the army coming. That's probably a little bit of a fearful moment. But their happiness carried them through it, right? No, not quite. Look at verse 11 of chapter 14. It says, they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you took us to die in the wilderness? What have you done bringing us out to Egypt? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? And look at these three words. Leave us alone. That doesn't sound very happy, does it? You know, what's interesting. I said a moment ago, whatever you pursue, whatever gives you life will define your life, define your attitude. When you're pursuing this, it will color the way you look at things. Folks, nobody wants to be a slave. They didn't want to be a slave. But you had a little unhappiness, a little dissatisfaction, a little fear, a little desire of this. And all of a sudden they're looking back what would have just been days prior saying, we didn't even want to be free. We begged you to leave us alone. They're acting now like they're out there been forced by their will. Well, God says, tell you what, Moses, let's do this. You raise that stick of yours up over the, the Red Sea here. We're going to part it. You take the people through it. Once you're on the other side, I'm going to send the Egyptian army in there. We'll close the waters down. Problem solved. And that's exactly what happened. Wouldn't that have been awesome to be there? I mean, who thinks I could believe better in God if I'd have saw the Red Sea parted? I mean, isn't that, isn't that kind of how we naturally think? God, I could believe in you so much more. I could trust in you so much more. If you would do, why don't you do those Bible miracles anymore? Why, why can't I? I mean, folks, I tell you what, if I was picking three miracles out of the Bible, this would probably be one I'd want to see. That'd help my faith. So now they've been freed. They've been made wealthy. They've seen the power of God over and over and over, including the parting of the Red Sea. Their enemies have been eradicated. Now, now I'm satisfied. Now, now I can be happy and fulfilled. Life is good. Well, not quite. Look at chapter 15, verse 22. Chapter 15, verse 22. Then Moses led Israel on from the Red Sea, and they went out to the wilderness of Shur. They journeyed for three days. Only three days since they saw the parting of the Red Sea. Only three days since they've been freed from slavery. I mean, we're still in the high time. We're still in the party time. Life is good, right? No, they couldn't find any water. Look at verse 24. The people, what? Grumbled. Now, folks, I've seen people grumble, haven't you? I've grumbled. We don't grumble when we're happy, do we? We don't grumble when we're full and satisfied. No, we grumble when all of those things are the opposite. When I'm unhappy, when I'm dissatisfied, when I'm discontent. Man, look at all that they're getting. All that God is giving. We can't make these people happy yet. So God provides water. 
Okay, well, I mean, I'm thirsty. Thirst is real. Now I'm happy. I'm freed. I'm wealthy. I've seen the power of God. I've seen miracles. I've been, my thirst has been taken care of. I've got everything I could ever want. Now I'm happy, right? Not quite. Look at chapter 16, verse 2. The entire Israelite community, every single one of them. Folks, there are millions of people out there. You think out of a couple million people, somebody ought to be happy. Now, it says right here, the entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by. Man, look how this is coloring their memory. When we sat by pots of meat and ate all the what? All the bread we wanted. I've never heard somebody describe slavery so good. Man, we had everything back in Egypt. Now you've brought us out here in this whole assembly to die of hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, verse 4, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. And God began the miracle of manna, began feeding them six days a week. On the sixth day, they could collect twice as much. They weren't supposed to collect anything on the Sabbath. He did that for 40 days years now they're all provided for and they're happy right folks you just keep right on going through exodus jump into numbers and deuteronomy and they complain and they complain and they complain god reveals god provides satisfied for a moment start the complaining right again now folks we're a very difficult group of people to make happy i mean this is a crowd jesus had a crowd in front of him we're a crowd you know what we're all the same the crowd, the crowd in front of Moses, the crowd in front of Jesus, the crowd here today, we're a difficult group of people to make happy. You say, well, that's, that's not quite fair. I mean, their, their needs were legitimate. I mean, if you're thirsty, you're thirsty. That's a legitimate need. If you're hungry, you're hungry. If you're afraid of the enemy, those are real needs. God, God should have not let it get to that point. Well, folks, God provided. God always provides. The problem is not God's provision. The problem is where you and I are looking for life and fulfillment. We're looking for it in the physical stuff. And it's never going to satisfy. Doesn't matter what restaurant you go to. Doesn't matter what vacation you have, what job you have, what mates you have, what car you have, what other relationships you have. They can satisfy. They can be good. They can be fun for a moment. But you're going to wake up hungry. The physical does not satisfy. It doesn't matter how much God gives you. You'll still wake up hungry. You'll still wake up complaining. And so this group standing before Jesus in John 6, they say, give us bread. They say, give us a sign. Give us a sign and then we'll believe that. I mean, I understand that request. Right. Most of us have felt that way. God, if you would show yourself, if you would do something to help me believe. The problem is it doesn't make a difference. And these Israelites had all the signs in the world. How about this group standing in front of Jesus? Jesus has given them bread. He has shown them signs, multiple signs. They woke up hungry. They woke up wanting more, needing more. And so Jesus here says no. And he's not saying no because he doesn't care about hunger. He's not denying that we have very real physical needs. He's not saying no because he's angry. He's not saying no because he doesn't care. He's saying no because he loves you. And he loves me. 
And somewhere along this path of running after bread, somewhere of being so overwhelmed by our gut for the physical needs that we have in this world, we need to get woken up to the fact that our physical needs are not the greatest need. Yes, my gut is very dominating, but my soul's hungry too. And that's the bigger need that I have, that they have, that you have in our lives. And Jesus says, if you don't stop running just after bread, think of who's saying this to him. It's God. You guys have an opportunity to visit with God, to talk with God. And all you're thinking about is a piece of bread. Wake up. You're missing the big opportunity to ask for something. And then Jesus tells him what he's there to offer. He tells them what they should be there asking for. In verse 32, he says, you guys need to be looking for real bread, true bread. In verse 33, he calls it the bread of God. And in verse 35, he identifies that bread. He says, I am, I am the bread of God. I am the answer to what you're looking for. What are you looking for, love? I am love. You're looking for rest? I am worn out trying to please God. I'm worn out trying to obey all the rules. Jesus says, I'm your rest. I need forgiveness. I'm your forgiveness. I need hope. I am hope. What is it you're chasing after that this bread represents that you think is going to give you life, fulfillment, energy, and strength? Jesus says, I am I am the bread that will fill you up. I am the bread that will give you life. Matter of fact, he goes on and says here, and once you eat of me, you'll never be hungry or thirsty again. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? I became a believer in 1982, and folks, I've been hungry and thirsty since 1982. Well, what does Jesus mean by that? Well, folks, obviously we recognize now there's a little bit of a metaphor going on here. We're comparing the physical versus the spiritual. Physically, we stay hungry and thirsty, don't we? Do you know how long you can live without water? Two to ten days. I looked it up this week. Two to ten days. Now, obviously, that's a little bit of a range. Depends upon health and strength and what temperature you're doing this in. But you stop drinking any liquid at all starting today. Most of you aren't going to be back here next week. Some of you will already be buried. Man, this physical body has to be replenished. We can go without eating about six weeks. There again. Health, strength, a variety of issues there. But about six weeks we can go without eating anything. And then we're done. Toast. Dead. No mas. That's it. It's got to be replenished. And if you're trying this survival thing, you may be able to go a period of time without food and water, but you're not living You are totally in the process of dying. You're just surviving. You're just hanging on until it happens. We have to be replenished. But that's not true of the bread Jesus is talking about. Yes, physical bread. The the bread of this earth. It sustains physical life temporarily. But the spiritual bread, the bread Jesus is offering, it sustains the spiritual body. It sustains, sustains the, the spiritual life forever. When you consume Him. Remember when we talked about that? When we talked about the feeding of 5,000? What do you trust more than what you put in your mouth? You're not going to put anything in your mouth that you don't trust. Jesus says, when you fully absorb me consume me because your trust your faith in me is like that man once you take that your spiritual life is nourished strengthened fulfilled forever 
Man, forever is a long time. Well, that's where Jesus gets to at the end of this passage, doesn't he? He says, you know, this, I can eat this all right now. I, that, that'd probably get me pretty full, wouldn't it? But I'd be hungry tomorrow. But when I consume Christ, it'll carry me all the way out to the last day. Last day of what? The last day of this earth. And Jesus says, on that last day, you will be raised up. That's God's will for me. That's God's will for you, that I live forever. And this bread won't do it. You see what God's saying here? I love you. I want you guys to live forever. And you're trying to live on this stuff. You're chasing after relationships and achievements and jobs and stuff of this world. And it will not fill you up. And it certainly won't make you live forever. But I want to give you that bread. I want to give you a bread that will guarantee you, that will promise you the opportunity to be resurrected and to live forever. Man, now that's getting a need met. Oh, if we could just trust it. If we could just trust that the spiritual body is more important than the physical. That the spiritual life is more important than the physical life. That my spiritual need is what I need to be driving after, focusing on, going after. But it's just so easy to come back to what I feel, to what I touch. Lord, give us a sign. Give us food, right? Give me something I can see right now. Give me something I can touch right now. Give me something I want right now. Folks, it doesn't matter. Jesus can answer all those prayer requests. Have you ever said, if only? Boy, if only I had this. If only I could get to this place. If only I could accomplish that. And you know what? There's probably people all over this room. Maybe it's not for all of us. But some of us, we have gotten there. We have achieved that. We did possess that. And you know what? It didn't do what we thought it was going to do. We still ended up unhappy about something. We still ended up dissatisfied about something. We still ended up empty and hungry. Life and fulfillment is not in the physical stuff. It's not in the stuff of this world. If we could hear Jesus and trust Him when He says, come, come eat the real bread. Come pursue the real life. And I want to say it again, folks. God's not denying. He's not pretending there's no physical needs out there that you don't have very real physical issues in your life that need to be attended to and need to be addressed. And the Scripture encourages you to bring those things to God and to trust God with them. But out of His kindness, He's still going to keep saying, don't give your whole life to thinking the answer isn't getting that. There's a great passage that balances this physical and spiritual for us there's a a great balance a great perspective a great priority that jesus explains look with me at matthew matthew chapter 6 we're almost done here but one more really significant passage matthew chapter 6 go to the beginning of the new testament matthew 6 look at verse 25 matthew chapter 6 verse 25 This is why I tell you, don't worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body or what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? That's what Jesus is saying, what we've been saying this morning. Life is about more than the physical stuff. 
He's not saying the physical stuff isn't necessary. He's saying the physical stuff, though, is not to define our life. It's not to direct our life. Man, life is more than what we put on our body and what we put in it. Look at then in verse 26 to 30, he kind of illustrates this. Look at verse 31. So don't worry saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Boy, it's hard not to worry about that, isn't it? It's in our face all of the time. And I feel pretty empty when I don't have those things. But Jesus says, don't worry about that. Then look at what he says in verse 32. For idolaters. Maybe your translation says pagans. What are pagans? Those are people who don't believe in God. Those are people who don't even know there's a God. Man, that's what pagans do. They eagerly seek after the physical stuff. You know what? The pagans, the people who don't know there's a God, they think life is all about this right here. And that's all there is to life, is getting this. And they get really stressed about it, don't they? There's people all around you, today, tomorrow, that will be very stressed out about their pursuit of this right here. Now what Jesus is challenging you and me with is, why do you look just like them? Why do I look just, I know, I'm not a pagan, I know there's a God. I know there's a spiritual life. So why am I acting like life is all about this? Man, this should not define what I'm doing tomorrow. Well, 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 what should define what I'm doing tomorrow? What should define my life? Well, Jesus answers that question. Look at this in verse 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. My pursuit tomorrow is not for a better relationship. It's not to get my bills paid. It's not to get more of this. And hopefully then when I get it all, I will be happy. My pursuit tomorrow is to see what it looks like when a king is fully reigning in my life. I'm going to seek first His kingdom. What does it look like when the reign of Christ is growing in my marriage? What does it look like when the reign and the rule of Jesus is moving into my finances? What does it look like when the reign and rule of Jesus is working through my desires and my needs? That's what I wake up tomorrow thinking about. That's what I'm chasing and pursuing. Not bread. Jesus says, pursue my rule and reign. And then he says, righteousness, right living. And when I wake up tomorrow, I'm so, what I'm excited about, what I'm concerned about, what I'm working on, what does it look like when I'm living right with God? What does it look like when I'm living right with people? That's what drives my day. That's what drives my pursuits and my passions. And look what Jesus says. Randy, if you'll focus on that. Oh, Lord, it's so hard. I mean, hunger's real, Lord. I, I really am hungry. I know you are, but you focus on my rule and reign. You focus on living rightly with God. And you know what? My dad will take care of the bread. My dad will provide all that stuff. He knows your needs. He acknowledges those needs. He recognizes those needs. But what my dad is telling you is you're never going to find those needs fulfilled as long as you make those needs what you're pursuing. It'll never work. And you won't find a person on this planet. There's not a person in your life that has been fulfilled by physical stuff. You're looking at somebody who's happy for a moment. They'll be unhappy soon. Always. They always are. Our own life is evidence of that, isn't it? Jesus says, come to me. That's my Father's will for you. That's my, my Father's desire for you. Isn't it good that God lets us know that? Man, if somebody didn't break into my life and communicate this to me, praise God for Jesus, 
I might spend my whole life thinking it's about getting to a better restaurant. It's about getting out on a better vacation. It's about getting a better job. It's about getting a better wife. If I can just get more, if I can just get better, then I'll be happy. And then I would die and find out there's nothing on this planet that's going to do it. Isn't God good to say, hey, this is important. I made your body to need it. But it's not what's going to work. I sent my son Jesus for that. Oh, that we might believe it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know, I know as a loving Father, you know my frame, you know my needs, and you know, you know how overwhelmed I get by those needs. God, would you give me the faith just the very same, the same kind of trust I have when I put something in my mouth and consume it. Would you give me that kind of trust in Jesus? And help me to take those, those fears, those desires, those dreams, those wants. Help me to take all of those empty places and just lay them at your feet. That's not going to be my pursuit. My pursuit's going to be your rule in my life. And living rightly with you. God, I, I, will, I will fail at that. I, I will believe it today. I'll try it today. And Lord, I'll get overwhelmed tomorrow. Lord, give me the discipline. Give me the wisdom to wake up and start over again tomorrow. To start over again tomorrow, focusing on you. And not the physical stuff. God, give me a faith to hold on to you and to you alone. And to trust you'll take care of the other stuff. Whether it's in the timing I want or the way I want, you promise you'll take care of that other stuff. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we ask this. Amen.